the female spirit tends to give, but now it's also time to receive. Receive the courage to acknowledge the power within. Welcome to Empower with Sisters, the podcast on how voices can mobilize change. She's a youth reporter covering reproductive and sexual health issues, HIV prevention, and child rights. To be able to change the social situation for youth, she founded an organization called Visionary Youth for Change. In her weekly radio program, she discusses climate change and environmental sustainability. You can describe her as a voice of her generation, spreading awareness across Zambia. A woman to listen to. Welcome to Empower with Sisters, Beatrice Piri. Thank you so much. Thank you for wanting to participate. We're so happy to have you. Tell us more about yourself. I started doing my activism work uh, six years ago when I was trained by UNICEF as a climate ambassador. And then in 2014, I had an opportunity to work with Agents of Change Foundation as a youth reporter. And there we started broadcasting environmental issues. But we took a turn in 2017 when we started looking at sexual reproductive um, health issues because we thought that or felt that many Zambian uh, young people had no access to sexual reproductive health information. Yeah. So your radio program is more about sexual, sexual reproductive, reproductive health. Yes. Yeah. And mm-hmm. what do you talk about in that program? So we talk about how um, young people can actually have uh, access to comprehensive uh, um, information on sexual reproductive health, as well as how young people can actually protect themselves from sexual um, um, uh, sexual diseases, and also how young people also can be champions of change in various communities. Ah, that's mm-hmm. lovely. And this foundation of yours... Uh, visionary youths for change mm-hmm. how did you come up with that what what inspired you to start that foundation well I, I was inspired by the fact that many young people do not have information in Zambia so when I used to do a lot of uh, radio shows I also realized that many young people especially children were not being reached because they didn't have access to radio or they didn't have access to television Mm. So I thought that it would also be important for us to go to, to to the communities, you know, where we cascade down to the communities and then get to reach to, to the children themselves yeah. and then offer them information about the importance of um, of education mm. as well as offer them information about the importance of how they can keep their environment clean, but also most importantly, how they can keep their lives healthy. Ah, yeah. So you so you like visit them in their community. Mm-hmm. Ah, yes. that's a great way to reach people. Yes, 
you're engaged in the climate change question. Yes. <laughs> Tell us about that. Well, I think um, I'm, I'm pretty much known to be a, a climate fighter as compared to be um, um, a sexually productive person. Um, and um, like I said earlier, I was trained as a climate ambassador by UNICEF Zambia. And um, uh, from that time, that's when I started doing my environmental um, activism. Mm. And uh, I have had so many opportunities to work with different, um, to work with different communities mm. because also climate change is an issue that continues to affect the entire world. And it also, it's also an issue that continues to affect we young people on a daily basis. And um, in 2014, um, I didn't actually know that I was actually per I was personally affected by climate change mm -hmm. when Zambia experienced erratic water supply due to little rainfall, oh. you know, and I had to wake up as early as 5 a.m. just to go and fetch water because mm -hmm. if I had gone at 6 I wouldn't. I wouldn't find. I. I. I would find that everyone would have rushed for the water, and the water would not be there. So oh. all those were issues that were actually caused by climate change, and so my love for fighting for the environment even grew much more because I realized that this was something that we 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 had to do together as people. Yeah. So that's what inspired you to engage in climate change. That yes. you had to go fetch water each day. Mm -hmm. But how, how do people respond when you talk to them about climate change? Is there anything that people here would like to hear about or how do they react? I think mostly people want to hear stories that personally affect them or personally uh, or stories that personally connect with them because if you're going to talk about climate change having um, caused wildfires like in California then mm. people will not have to will not be able to relate yeah. uh, that here in Zambia but if you tell them to say look uh, climate change is the one that is actually causing this country to have little rainfall every time it's their rainy season then people begin now to to mm. connect to such stories so mm. we use the power of personal stories to connect with the community because mm. it's only personal stories that enable a person to understand that they are really affected by a certain situation you have a power to change mm -hmm. and how would you like to use that power for example to break taboo subjects mm -hmm. I think um, I would like to use the power that I have to break, uh, for example, like you said, taboo subjects uh, by um, making people realize that every person has the life to life and every person is important and every person has the right to information and therefore every person needs to acquire that information. And as a voice, it's my duty to ensure that every person acquires that, that information. So that's how I would use my voice to break the taboos. Yeah, providing information, information, the correct information. So true. And you're able to speak your true mind in your radio program? Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm able to speak my true mind um, on radio because I have been affected by by so many issues, environmental issues, sexual productive health, and, and, and many issues. So... Um, like I said, I try to connect everything that I talk about on radio with my own personal stories because I believe that personal is powerful. Yeah, that's so true. Personal is powerful. Mm -hmm. That makes you listen to someone. 
So true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the issues that you had with sexual and reproductive health, can you tell us about that? Um, well, uh, in 2016, I actually lost my sister mm. who died due to uh, maternal complications. Mm. And um, so it's an issue that I usually don't like to blame on the medical personnels or wouldn't like to blame her maybe because she didn't use the right um, methods when going for her antenatal um, treatment. But my sister was pregnant for about close to 12 months and she couldn't give birth. But 12 months? Yes. And so we were so relaxed about it because okay. every time she went for antenatal, they told her, no, it's no more. Like she didn't have any, any pains. And so we took it as though it was just a normal thing. And maybe, so we started questioning, maybe we thought that maybe she was the one that did not calculate the pregnancy, oh, pregnancy yeah. well. But she actually used to confirm and say, look, this pregnancy is actually 12 months and uh, soon I'll be clocking uh, 13 months with this pregnancy. But every time she went for antenatal, they could tell her that her blood pressure was okay and the child also was okay. It's just time. And in no no time, she would actually give birth. So Mm -hmm. after some time in April, because she died in April on the 14th. Okay. Yeah. So on that day, she had some serious pains from her heart she thought she was Mm -hmm. feeling as though someone was like pulling her out so uh, it was around 2 a.m in the night okay yeah so in the morning so she called my mom because she was living with her husband and the husband called us and said uh, she's experiencing such pains and said okay Mm -hmm. maybe those are actually signs of labor you know maybe because it's it's been long overdue that she hasn't given birth so Mm. we actually took her to um Chingwede Clinic, okay. now known as Mateo Level 1 Hospital. And when we took her that side, uh, the health personnel that that was there said her blood pressure was extremely high and she needed mm. to be taken to the university teaching hospital mm. as soon as possible. Mm. And so when we... I think the trouble was when we get to, uh, to UTH because there we told them that this was um, a referral case Mm. We had just come from the clinic and they told her that she quickly needed to be attended to because the baby was in danger and has, her life also was, was in danger. But yeah. when we reached there, um, one of the medical personnel just told her to be on the bench and to wait. Others, other, another personnel told her, no, you have to go down and to go and register. So it was a complicated process. We kept on yeah. saying this is a case that has to be treated as possible as soon as possible. So mm. they put her on the bench. She kept on falling, mm-hmm. and there was no one to attend to her because there were so many women in the labor ward that needed attention. Yeah. And um, so we kept on experiencing that. And the only time that she got to see a doctor was at ten a.m. Oh. You can imagine from two. And then you're only being attended to by uh, a professional doctor at 10. Mm. So when she went there, she was told that the baby had died. Yeah. Yeah, in her womb. Mm. So, and then her blood pressure was high. So like the questions that we kept on asking ourselves is, how do you tell a person whose blood pressure is already high that the child in your womb has died. So there was lack of um, unprofessionalism from Mm. the medical personnel that actually delivered the news Mm. to her. 
And so we told them, okay, then I think the only thing that you have to do, the only thing that we think you have to do now is for you to operate. And they said, no, we'll put her on forced labor. Okay. Yeah, we'll put her on forced labor because we can't operate on her. She's weak and what. Then we said, but she's weak. So maybe the only thing that you have to do, maybe we don't know because we're not uh, medical personnel, but we think that maybe, you know, operating her and removing the, the child who has already died could be mm. the best thing. Mm. Um, so they said, no, let us do our job. So we left, but they couldn't put her on forced lap at that time. So there was another, another okay. delay. Uh, yeah. yeah. So they only put her on forced labor at about uh, 2 p.m. Mm. So for four hours, she was mm. just there, you know, feeling all depressed because she had lost the child and the blood pressure yeah. kept on going high. Yeah. So when they put her on, um, on, 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 what's this, on forced labor, she still couldn't, you know, give birth. They kept on saying, no, there are this amount of centimeters that are left for her to give birth. Mm. But we still waited and waited and there was, there was, there was, there was nothing. You know, until the last time that we actually managed to talk to her because they couldn't, like from the time that she went uh, for the first um, uh, treatment to see mm. the, uh, the, 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 the medical doctor at 10, mm. they couldn't allow us to, to see her. Oh. Yes. Which was so saddening. And then yeah. the last, so we could only talk to her on phone. And meanwhile, we were in the same hospital, uh. you know, waiting for us to hear some good news. Mm. So at around eight, um, um, at around six p.m., that was the last time that we actually talked to her. And then she said, "Ah, very soon I might, I might give give birth, though okay. it's a dead child." Yeah, yeah. Mm. But um, just keep praying mm. that uh, I may, I may come out uh, of this alive. Yeah, that was the last call that we had. So we, call. yeah. Then from there, we waited at 7 p.m. We tried calling her back to find out how she was doing. We tried going in there. They kept on stopping us. At 8 p.m. as well, we kept trying to reach her. Then they said, no, you're disturbing. Don't reach her. Okay. And don't come disturb us. So there was all that, you know. So she was all alone in there. She was all alone in there. Until about 21, um, around 9 p.m. when they called and said... Could you please come through to le- to the labor world? And when we went there with my mom, we mm. only found her dead. You found her dead? Yes. She couldn't she didn't give birth. She was still with her pregnancy and we're shocked. And oh. they said we, we're sorry we've actually lost her. And they did they explain what happened? We tried to ask what really happened and then they could just say, No, we were trying to actually ensure that we forced the baby out of her but she just couldn't push the baby anymore. I think she had become so weak because the, 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 there were so many hours that she had she had stayed in the situation and so she couldn't um, she couldn't survive. So there was so many questions and till now we get to ask ourselves as yeah. to what really happened. Yeah. Maybe if they had had to advice to say let's operate her, maybe such things wouldn't have happened. Mm. Or maybe if we got at the time that we actually got to the hospital at two AM, if they had attended to her at that time, maybe we couldn't have reached such a stage of losing two lives. At, at the same time. Mm. So there are so many, so many questions that rose from that scenario. Mm, I mm. mean, that's such a sad story. Mm-hmm. It must be so traumatic. So true it is. And that you haven't received an answer what really happened, happened. to her. Mm-hmm. That must be terrible mm-hmm. to think about each day. 
Yeah, it's really terrible. And what what would you think have could could have prevented her death? I think what could have really prevented her death was um, quick attention from the medical personnel. I think that was what caused everything. If they hadn't delayed, if they would have seen the was this the referral report to say this is a serious case, mm-hmm. she needed quick attention. All this wouldn't have happened. Mm. But like I said, like having to wait from 2 a.m., a pregnant woman whose uh, blood pressure was very high and to, and to only be attended to 10 a.m. And then uh, you, you tell that person, you know, uh, that you've lost the child, the child who you are carrying is, is dead. I think there was lack of professionalism. The person who was... Um, in charge of, of her at that time would have actually done a better job. They mm. could have called one of us, her relatives, to just say, look, we are actually facing a critical situation now. Mm. We don't want to tell her this because we want to save her life because the child she's carrying has already died. So we felt that there was so much of lack of professionalism from the person that handled this case. And I think that was what even caused her to die because she kept on, this was a child that she wanted to have. She, cause um, her firstborn child is uh, 10 years now, okay. uh, clocking 11. Okay. So uh, she only got to be pregnant again when the child was about seven years. Mm-hmm. So she waited for seven years to get pregnant again because she kept on having a number of um, complications. Yeah. So you can imagine and then you just go to this person and say the child that you're carrying has died. So there's a lot of unprofessionalism that uh, the person who was attending to her at that time showed. Yeah, and it feels like they didn't handle it the correct way. Yes. I mean, having high blood pressure in that mm-hmm. situation is very serious. So true. And they didn't take it that serious. serious. Mm-hmm. But... I was wondering, she was 12 months pregnant. You said she was 12 months pregnant. Yes. Did she ever consider that something was wrong? Um, I think she didn't really consider that something was wrong because she didn't, there was never a moment that she actually missed her antenatal um, meetings. She kept on going for antenatal. And they, the medical personnel at um, material level one now, kept on telling her that everything was okay. The child that you're carrying is okay. And in due time, you give birth. Uh, 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 and she tried consulting from a number of medical personnel, but they kept on saying that same thing. So she took it as normal. And at that time, she wasn't even experiencing uh, blood, uh, high blood pressure issues. Mm-hmm. Her body was okay. She kept on eating, eating healthy. Mm-hmm. She was working even on the night that she actually... Um, fell ill. Mm. She actually came from work. She did mm-hmm. the house chores. Even before going to bed, she managed to to was to iron her clothes and say, "I am going for work tomorrow." Because she only got sick in the night. Yeah. So this was a person that was all healthy, you know, and knew that I would give birth at any time. So she tried her best, and 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 maybe I don't know, but I I think even the people that were checking up on her also must have tried their best if if not so then they're the ones who would have actually asked further to say okay at 12 months then why aren't you giving birth so maybe they would have also tried to check what could really be the problem there was a lot of doctors involved Mm -hmm. and maybe they didn't didn't take her 
uh, last menstrual data series. So they thought mm-hmm. that she didn't have an idea of how far she was mm-hmm. in her pregnancy, perhaps. So But it still still makes no sense. Mm-hmm. And I mean, do you think that it would have been different if she had have any education about or any information about um, being pregnant like how a normal pregnancy should be Mm -hmm. I think yes I think it would really have been um, it would have really been better if she had um, more information and also I think there's more information that needs to be given to pregnant women also as they register I think they shouldn't just be given uh, the basic knowledge as they go for antenatal, you know, but the, the, the medical personnel that are in charge of their cases should take it upon themselves to ensure that they find out more uh, whether this person has knowledge on, on pregnancy because it's not everyone that, 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 that has information, yeah. you know, not everyone has been pregnant before, you know. Mm. So um, they say that experience, of course, is the best teacher, but sometimes people need to be given the guide. Yeah. So I think there is more that our medical personnel here in Zambia have have to do, especially with um, pregnant women, because my sister, for example, is not the first person that has actually died from maternal complications. Mm. Uh, we have had um, a number of people that have actually died, because even today, if we went on to check at the local clinics, we would find that there are some women that have actually died today due to maternal complications. Yeah. So we need to find out and ask ourselves to say, you know, um, we had the Millennium Development Goals that aimed at reducing uh, maternal mortality uh, rate. But why is it that we are still having, you know, uh, maternal mortality deaths even at this time? So there's a lot that we need to to to, to ask us to question. We need to question how healthy our hospitals ha- are, how professional our medical doctors also ha- are, and also are they given. Are they given the right support so that they could also attend to this uh, to this um, um, uh, mothers to be? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a very good question. Mm-hmm. Like, why is it that mothers or pregnant ladies here mm-hmm. in Zambia die in a further extent than mm-hmm. in, for example, Sweden? So true. And why do you think that Zambia has such a high maternal mortality? Because at the moment, it's, I think in 2015, mm. it was 224 deaths per 100,000 live births. That's mm. how you measure maternal mortality. I was working at UTH last uh, autumn mm-hmm. at the delivery ward. Mm-hmm. And in Sweden, we have like, a surveillance machine that uh, can see the fetal heart rate and mm-hmm. every woman has their own machine but at UTH here they only had one of that machine and it was 10 women giving birth at the same time wow. so I mean if something would happen to that woman or that woman you will have to like prioritize who will I examine gotcha. first? Wow. And that's that's not okay. Mm-hmm. And so true. Yeah, so I mean, the, 
the um, hospitals and the medical personnel mm. would have to be more yeah they need more resources so true to practice mm. uh, but also do you think there's an aspect of do the patient have to have knowledge about certain stuff to be able to ask for her rights like for your sister to say this is not okay you have to take care of me now mm-hmm. do you think that there's something to be done to be able to achieve that at such i think there's more that has to be done um pregnant women have to also uh, um, be told and be given information that they have rights too Uh, it doesn't mean that when they go to to a hospital or to a clinic, then their rights end at the door immediately. Uh, they enter there and then um, their rights end. Mm. They have to be told the information so that they themselves can actually choose to say, I want this to be done or I don't want this to be done because I'm not comfortable. Because that's their body. So every person has the, the right to, you know, to, 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 um, To, to make a decision concerning their body. So if there's no consultation, you know, from a person, then that means that that um, um, a, a checkup or, or review should not carry on because the person is not comfortable. Mm. So there's much that has to be done. Like pregnant women have to be given adequate information. They should know that they have rights too and they can speak out when they feel something is wrong. Mm. Mm-hmm. And how how do you think that we can reach that goal that they feel like they're able to speak their mind? I think it all starts up with I I have seen a number of campaigns that that government has has brought up. So we could also start up a campaign to say, um, for example, just say pregnant women have rights. Um, and they have the right to be heard. So by starting up such campaigns, you are triggering the mind of a pregnant woman because they'll actually realize that they have the the was the, the rights for them to acquire knowledge and they have the rights for them to be heard. And so um, I think it, it it it's it's more that has to be done by the government as well as the non-government organizations. They need to tell pregnant women that look, you have rights. You have the right to say this. You have the right to say no to this. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit much that we need to do. And as soon as a person goes for antenatal, also they should get the adequate information from the medical personnel. The medical personnel should not be scared to give out information to mm. pregnant women. They should tell them about their rights. Also, government can use the um, uh, can use uh, 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 tools like radio, you know, where they yeah. start up radio programs, you know, giving information to women. We've heard about how women are supposed to he- eat healthy and live healthy and exercise, but we've actually not uh, given information to women about some of the rights that they have. You know, like some of the things that they can demand for. So, for example, they felt that they were harassed in, in in any way. We've not heard about government actually telling mm-hmm. them or uh, making a path for them to say this is what you're supposed to do. Yeah. So many women feel as though that when they go to the to the hospital, like I had said, that they feel their rights just. And immediately they enter the door and they just have to listen. Mm. Well, sometimes, yes, it's good to listen, but mm. you have the right to your body. You know, you have to speak out whenever you feel that there's something wrong. So it's about developing key messages that will trigger the mindset of pregnant women. Help in New Zealand, 
this radio program that you have is just one part of everything that you're doing mm-hmm. to be able to change the society. So true. What's your goal? What do you want to achieve with with the work that you do? I think I have one goal, and my goal is to create a sustainable world for every person to live in. Because I believe that a safe space is all that young people need, you know, to speak out. And young people need to know that they have rights. But at the end of the day, people also need to realize that for us to create this inclusive, sustainable world that we aim to achieve, uh, where your right ends, sorry, that's where another person's rights begin. So we need to to, to, to know that we we have to to work together as mm. a people. So my goal is to basically create a sustainable world for every person to live in. Mm, yeah. That sounds good. A sustainable world for everybody to live in. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the personal experience that you had, mm-hmm. have you been able to to share that to change? Um, I've Actually, I think, uh, like I also mentioned when we were starting, that uh, most of the experiences that I've actually had uh, experiences that I actually use to inspire young people and to also use to inspire fellow citizens of this country. And so every experience, like the experience that I've actually had today of having an opportunity to speak out about how my sister died, for example, is something that I would also use to talk about on radio because this is something I I have mentioned before that I've actually lost my sister to maternal complications, but I've actually not gone further into explaining us at how it Mm -hmm. all happened and what, because it's something that really keeps touching me and Mm -hmm. it's something that I never felt ready to talk about. So my experiences for me are what I use to share with other people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how do people react when you tell when you tell about your sister is it that they recognize the story that people have experienced the same thing as you have yes they do because i remember um i think the first time that i actually shared the story was when another woman um died also she was a very famous journalist spiway Okay. Uh, and she also died uh, due to maternal complications and her case was a bit worse because I think they forgot to remove um, one of the tools they were using when they operated on her so she died Ooh. two weeks later Aye. yes so like it was all over social media and people were talking about it and I also felt to say okay this is a sad, sad story and maybe I could also share my story with uh, with uh, with other people so i actually brought up on social media and said okay i think there's more that has to be done uh, in training our, pers- uh, our, our professional our medical professionals because i also lost a sister due to to this and there were so many people that actually kept on bringing the story up many people kept on sharing the story mm-hmm. so from there we could see that other people are informed and mm-hmm. other people don't actually know that they have the right to speak up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you think of other people in your sister's situation, what would you say to them? I think what I would actually say to them is um, speak out whenever you feel intimidated. And don't be afraid to call out on your relatives when you feel that there's something wrong. 
And also people have the right to call on the top management and say, this is what's going on wrong. You know, people have the right to call the media because most, um, uh, what's this, uh, medical personnel or, you know, people are scared whenever they see the, or they feel that there's a presence of the media. So mm. I think it starts by us sharing Mm. the little um, sadness that our friends are going through, you know, because by doing so would actually be creating a, a, a clear path for, for us, for, for others that are coming behind. Because imagine if um, maybe someone from the Ministry of Health heard that there was something like that going on, that means that quicker action would have actually been done. Mm-hmm. Even though it would have been a, a negative action, but somehow, some, uh, s- somehow, somewhere, something would have already been done by now. But it's because people have actually chosen to keep quiet. People are so silent. The media is so silent about it. We don't want to speak. We only want to speak when there's something that's going on wrong. And when we speak, we don't actually speak to make change. We want to speak to criticize, which is not the best way to do. And whenever we do that, maybe for a week or two weeks, and then there's another um, heavy story that is coming up, we forget about what we're yeah. actually talking about. So I feel that there's re- there should really be consistency, you know, uh, in us taking up the steps of, of talking. So if we're going to speak now, it shouldn't just be something that we say today and, and, and make it end there, but there should be consistency. These are things that we need to do every day yeah and why why do you think that the media or people don't speak about maternal complications i think maybe because in our country most people can still consider those as taboos they feel that those are only women that should uh, sorry those are only stories that should actually be spoken by the female folk in private without being heard or um in public you know so many people feel as though um, they, they can't talk about, about such, such issues in public. And so there's so much taboos, but we forget that for a woman to get pregnant, there's a man that's involved. Yeah. So men as well have to take up the, 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 the role. They have to ensure that if a man has uh, information about maternal, uh, maternal health, they should give it to they should give it out they shouldn't be afraid to say i'm a man i can't talk about this they also should be seen in in the front line talking about these issues and when we see them uh, there was this, the male folk talking talking about such issues also many other women will be you know inspired and uh, to say oh okay so our men are talking about these issues. That mm. means that they truly care about us. Mm. So we shouldn't just leave it to be an issue for the women, yeah. but it should be an issue for both the men and the women. Why do you think talking about it is taboo? And maybe because of... <laughs> <laughs> maybe because of uh, the pain, maybe. Ash. There's so many taboos in my country. Yeah, there is. There <laughs> is, and it seems like uh, this subject shouldn't be one. So true, and because uh, okay, I will try to answer that yeah. from um, maybe <laughs> a, a home perspective. You know, mm-hmm. you find that a child or an adolescent girl will not actually be given information about you know her puberty, her menstruation. 
her menstruation maybe yes because the and and her menstruation then if they're giving out information they would probably just tell her don't sleep with boys at this stage that you've reached because you get pregnant mm. and then case closed ah. so whatever the girl knows it's only meant for her whatever she does not know it's only meant 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 for her mm. so there's so much you know uh, taboos that go on in our homes mm. and it's because our parents still uh, live in an era where they still don't understand that giving out full information to their children is important because if they start there because i feel that maternal uh, healthy um, issues should not only be given to a girl child but if you have a, 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 a what's this, a, um, um, a, a male child as well i think you have the right to tell your son about it you don't know who uh, he might actually save a life by sharing the information so I don't know why, but our parents, they don't like to talk about these issues. Mm. I don't know, maybe they'll think that we'll start disrespecting them if we, uh, we, if we get this information from them, or they feel that these are just issues that cannot actually be taught by, 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 by them. Because even when a person is getting married, mm. they would rather call your aunties, your grandparents oh, yeah. to speak yeah. to you about how, what you're supposed to do yeah. when you get married and parents will like choose to to stay away from from such yeah. but they understand they, they they need to understand that they themselves are the ones that gave birth to us not mm-hmm. our aunties not our grandparents yeah, exactly. so they're the ones that know what we're supposed to get and what we're not supposed to get so there's a lot of I shouldn't just call it Zambian taboos, but there are so many taboos in Africa. Mm. There are so many things that you can say. Um, you, there are so many things that you cannot say in front of elderly people. Mm. There are so many things that you cannot do in front of elderly people because they feel that you have absolutely no right to say those things in front of them. Uh, and so maybe it's connected to the fact that maternal complications is connected to pregnancy that's connected to sex. Sex. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's all taboo because there's sex involved. There's sex involved. <laughs> so true. And I mean, you if you speak about maternal complications, maternal health, you might be able to save a life. Mm-hmm. And so sex, talking about sex, shouldn't be an obstacle. So true. Yeah. By talking about sex in uh, in our Zambian homes. Mm. It's it's a big taboo. You can't. I can't talk. Even I can't talk issues of sex with mm. with my mother. Ah. You know, I can't ask my mother that I have. You know, missed my period, even mm. though I have not had sex, because she's going to ask, start asking. So when did you have start having sex? Ah. Because every complication that you have concerning your menstrual cycle is related to you having sex. Ah, yeah. So there's all that. You know, taboo. Mm. They just think, okay, she's missed a period. She's probably started having sex. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. And you don't want them to think that. And you don't want to, them to think that because there's a lot of mistrust that's then that's beginning to to happen. I have seen so many so many friends of mine, girls, who have actually lost trust from their parents because they've actually, you know, questioned their parents to say, look, I have not had. My, my, my peas for the past two months, what do you think would be the problem? And they said, ah. so you've actually started having sex. Ah. What did you drink? What did you do? So there's... Oh, <laughs> oh there's, 
There's so many reasons <laughs> why so your many... period mm-hmm. suddenly stops. Then they just attach it to issues of sex. Ah, uh, oh, that's so that's so unfamiliar for for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you said that this uh, whole issue about maternal complications, maternal health, is not only a women problem mm-hmm. that boys should also be boys or men should also be educated about this subject mm-hmm. have you ever talked to a boy about this about this issue maternal health yeah um um i have i've actually talked to um a neighbor of mine whose uh, wife had um uh, i think she had about three miscarriage And so he was actually advising, uh, he was actually uh, seeking for advice from me mm. as out what he could actually do. Then I think uh, because I am also not a professional, <laughs> a medical professional. So I just gave him the basic information. I said, okay, I think you need to sit down first mm. and uh, really find out whether your, your, your wife has been stressed about certain issues or mm. not. Because you might not really know, like she wouldn't say it to say I'm stressed about these issues. So it's it's something that concerns us, you know. A, a woman's health is everyone's um um uh, uh, agenda, you know. If a woman is not healthy, every person should actually be concerned because without a woman, no one would have actually been on this planet, you know. Yeah. So um, every person should take it upon themselves to find out. So if a woman says, for example, my back is burning, you know, I'm not saying that the men also should not be considered, but if a woman says her back is paining, then she should be given the right treatment. She should not just think as though she's, she just likes to complain or she just likes to to, to, assist, to, to to talk about issues that don't really matter. But it's pretty serious because women are hardworking. Mm. Women have a lot to handle. Women handle the house. Women handle, you know, work. Women handle the kids. So there's a lot that women ha- handle around them. And so it's very important for us that we we just take it as an issue that women should just look after themselves alone. But rather both a male and a female should actually, you know, uh, take time to look after a man. So I've actually... Yeah had time to mm. advise a man and say look you need to take this and um happily enough or fortunate enough after some time like he didn't realize that the wife was really stressed she was passing through some de- depression and that's how comes she she used to have all this um miscarriage mm. so when they went to the hospital she was actually counseled and said you can do this you need to live your life healthy mm. And she started receiving like the full support that she actually needed from yeah. the husband because of the because also the husband realized that um, it is also his role to ensure that the wife is healthy. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's a responsibility from both partners. Mm-hmm. So true. And I mean, that's not only a Zambian problem because in Sweden, mm. men get better health care than women, women. do. Mm-hmm. And that's that's something that needs to change. Mm-hmm. And how do you and for for a woman to to be able to receive good health care, she needs to like be empowered to speak her mind and say that I need this and I need that. I have the rights to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how do you think a woman can be empowered to do that? 
I think a woman can be empowered to do that. Um, I think it starts from our home. Uh, um, I think our parents, our guidance have to first be educated first <laughs> yeah, and then be empowered with the information and then be told that, you know what, uh, all those misconceptions, all those taboos need to end. You know, parents need to talk to us. They can't just allow us to go into another man's home without us knowing about the basic things so if they don't talk to us about those things there's no way that we are going to learn and there's no way that we're actually going to change because we'll also continue with the the misconceptions because also if i become a mother Mm. i'll still say that look my mother never had time to talk to me about these issues Mm. so why should i start now it's been something that has been going on from generation to generation it's 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 culture we don't talk to parents about sexual issues Mm. but if parents begin talking to us about these issues then we would see that things would change mm-hmm. you know because it's hard for someone to receive information from the outside and um, and and immediately they are exposed to such information there are a lot of questions as at how you know uh, this is happening when you've actually been brought up in a different um, uh, situation so it starts from our homes they should be uh, we should be given the adequate information that yeah. that we need so that when we go out from our homes it's easy for us to to relate with the larger society because at least from our homes we have information so everything starts from our homes yeah mm-hmm. and to be able to break that silence that the silence. circle of silence mm-hmm. for generations for generations. generations so true and it feels like you are able to break that silence i mean you have your radio program and you're engaged in so many projects mm-hmm. so you have really break that silence i have <laughs> and how why do you think that is i think um um also it's it's about the the facts that I've actually been you know exposed to a number of teachings I've just realized that um you know knowledge is power mm-hmm. so I have had an opportunity to to be trained in different angles you know I was brought up in um in one of the peri urban communities of Lusaka you know, where people don't have information about climate change, about sexual reproductive health. But when I got trained, I got to see the other world. I got to realize that there is more that I can do for my life and for my country than just sitting down with all the taboos and the misconceptions. That is how come I have chosen to speak up and that is how come I have chosen to say, look, from my experiences of coming from a peri-urban community, I can still break the barrier and I can still stand up for my country. Yeah, so with education, Mm -hmm. you had like different perspectives and different angles Mm -hmm. to be able to think for yourself and change your mindset. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's... uh, that's really how it should be. <laughs> so true. in the future um 
I wish for Zambia to be self-empowered. Yeah. And what I mean by this is that many people in our country are not, uh, you know, softly empowered. And by this, I mean mentally, you know, um, um, physically and, and everything. So there's a lot of mentorship that has to go on. People need to be given the adequate information that, that they need to have. A child as early as that child is should be given the uh, adequate information from their homes. You know, young people need to receive adequate information. They should be told about their rights. They should be told about what they're expected to do and what they can do and also be given an opportunity for them to explore for themselves, not in a negative way, of course, mm. but in a positive way. So mm. I think it's about empowering ourselves as citizens and ensuring that every person around us is empowered mm. because a person who is empowered is a person that has so much dignity mm. yeah when we met women here in zambia mm -hmm. uh when i asked them about their dreams they have no answer uh, quite often they just start laughing and they it feels like they haven't reflected over what they really want and mm -hmm. uh, almost like i can't achieve my dreams uh, so what would you say to those women how do they achieve their dreams i think it all starts by believing in yourself you know for you to achieve anything that you want to achieve you need to believe in yourself. Like if you set out a goal, you need to believe that this I want to achieve. Just like Nelson Mandela used to say, everything seems to be uh, impossible until it's done. So if you set out mm. a goal, it will actually look as though it's impossible, you know, but until it's done, you'll be surprised that it's actually possible for you to do that. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of determination that our women have to put in. There's a lot of self-belief that they need to have. Mm. It's, it's about believing in yourself. It's about knowing that I can achieve this. And it can only happen if you put in your full mindset and focus to, towards that thing you want to achieve. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Mm. Let's say that you're talking to yourself when you were a 15-year-old girl. What would you have said to that girl? I think what I would have said to that girl at 15 would be dream bigger yeah. <laughs> and aim higher. Mm. Because when I was 15, I was low in my self-esteem. Because, like I said, I, I was brought up in a peri-urban community. So my dreams were just to just finish school and then start working. That was all that I hoped for. But the more I got exposed, the more I realized that, look, there is more that you got to dream of. You have to aim high. If I would go back when I was 15, I would just say, you spirit of law, self-esteem, get out of me. I need to aim higher. Yeah. yeah. Aim higher. <laughs> mm -hmm. We read that you're had been interviewing Prince, Prince Harry, Harry. Mm -hmm. and Sir Elton John. Yes. <laughs> How was that like? Well, I think it was an experience of a lifetime. Um, I actually didn't know that I was going to interview Prince Harry and um, uh, Sir Elton John. So um, in 2016, uh, when um, there was the international 
AIDS conference in Deben, South Africa. And so because I was representing Agents of Change and Children's Radio Foundation. So the first day passed. And then uh, during our day two of um, the conference, um, I think the first day passed. And then when we were having our review of the day, um, then they said, okay, so tomorrow we're actually going to be interviewing some interesting people because mm-hmm. we had so many young reporters in the room. Yeah. Others were French speaking and others were English uh, speaking. So mm-hmm. they said, we are going to be interested... Uh, interviewing some interesting people tomorrow how many would want to do that we want uh two speaking uh people and then everyone said no i want to go in the field tomorrow and i said oh okay who could those uh, interesting people be yeah <laughs> yeah like everyone that we've been interviewing here has been interesting mm-hmm. so how mm-hmm. interesting are these then i said okay i would like to to, to, to do the interview then they yeah. said oh okay fine so because you know, those are like prominent people. You're not allowed to give out full information mm. before the actual event. So they said, okay, you guys are going to be interviewing Prince Harry and Sir Elton John. I was like, Ooh. okay. Ooh. So you can't give information. So you need to prepare. Yeah. We'll leave it to you guys to prepare what to ask them. Okay. So I sat down and said, what would I want to ask Prince Harry, you know, like what would yeah. I want to ask yeah. <laughs> Elton John, you know, because you want to express how excited you are that you're mm. meeting, you know, there's uh, role models yeah. of the world. And also because you want to keep it professional because you want also to prove that you can handle this. So I sat down and said, oh, okay, I think I would love to interview him about how he has been managing to help Africa in the fight against HIV AIDS. Mm. When I went, when we went for the, for the interview, I couldn't believe my eyes mm. because I thought as though I was dreaming. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Like we waited for some time and then they walked in. Then he gave us a hug and said, don't be scared. <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, we're supposed to be the ones telling you not to be scared because mm. we're the ones carrying out this interview. Mm, yeah. So they were as friendly as possible. And um, when we started talking about how he started um, his organization on ending HIV AIDS, I realized that his passion for young people, Harry, is, is so much and mm-hmm. it's it's so much that has to be ad- admired by mm-hmm. you know a lot of young people mm-hmm. so for me that experience um, made me realize that it doesn't matter where you come from you know it doesn't matter what you've been through all you have to do is to work hard yeah. all you have to do is to believe in, in yourself that you could achieve this mm-hmm. you know when I told my mom because she wasn't in South Africa and mm-hmm. said I interviewed Prince Harry and said Diana's son, no. you are lying. <laughs> you are lying. <laughs> she can believe it. Oh my! Because so she isn't on uh, any. Uh, she wasn't on any social media platform at that time. Then I showed that the photo and said, uh, "Let me see. Ah, <laughs> uh. <laughs> is this for real?" And I said, "Yes, it is." Yeah. So there's there's so much self belief that young people have have mm. have to have to mm-hmm. have to have. Yeah. And you also said that it's important to work hard. Mm-hmm. Do you think that you had to work even harder because you're a woman? Yes, I, I think I've had to work harder because I am a woman. Uh, because, you know, I came from um, a community that has so many stereotypes against girls, you know, because from the community that I came uh, from, Chaisa to be specific, in Osaka. 
It's a community that has so much, you know, a teen pregnancy, a community where young people abuse drugs and alcohol. So those, all this around me, you know, and I had to focus on, on, on in school. I had to ensure that I worked hard every time because coming from such an, a community meant that you had little opportunities, mm. you know, even to go to, to, to assist to a better, to a better school. So I had to work hard, you know, and, um, the only, uh, schools that were around that you could see that were better were, um, Thorn Park, uh, and 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 Emmasdale Primary School, which for me I felt that I was not, you know, I was not deserving to acquire my education from mm. from from such a community. Mm. So it means that if I wanted to go to a better school, I had to work even extra hard. Mm. So I think as a woman, I've had to to work hard and had to work extra hard, you know, just so I could achieve and get to where. I, I want I want to be. And also because I am survived by my mother, mm. my dad is late, and um, my mother doesn't have, you know, like formal employment. She's only a business, businesswoman. You know, for many people get surprised and say, but how come you have managed to reach at this st- stage, you know, mm. in terms of e- education. And I think it's it's determination, you know. I didn't just leave it upon my mother to say, look, she's the one that has to take care of my school. Mm. But also, I had to look for a job, you know, as a sales person, mm. you know, aside from my part-time radio, because that, that's something that I actually do for entirety, you know, um, the radio th- uh, um, um, programs that I actually do. So I had to look for a part-time job so that I could actually, you know, also help my mother mm-hmm. uh, in, in raising uh, money for my, for my, for my school. So uh-huh. it's about me working hard and coming out, you know, from my comfort zone and saying, if I don't do this, no one will ever do it for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Come out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. That's so important to be able to grow. So true. And I like to ask this question. Um, what choices have you made in your life that took you where you are today? I think I have made a number of choices that have actually taken me where I am today. I think I have this, I, 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 I have taken a number of choices where I have had to choose, let's say, for example, friends. I, I, I used to say, I, I used to be, I have been, not that I used to be, I'm so, I'm so, um, you know, choosy when it comes to the friends that I have around me. Mm. I am very known because of the radio shows that I do, but the people that, you know, are close to me, I a few, because, you know, I am one person that is so, um, that is so afraid of bad uh, influence, you know, from, yeah. from friends. Mm. So I have had to say, look, no matter how interesting this person is uh, in me or towards me, how then will they add value to my life? Mm. You know, that is like something that's most important. Mm. So if I notice that a person does not actually add value to my life, I'm so sorry, but (laughs) we need to part ways, you know. So there are so many choices that I've actually have to was to make, and there are also, you know, um, there were also times when I've actually, you know, had to sacrifice. Let's say my childhood, for example, and say, you know what, I'm not going to play, Mm. but I would have to work 
to work. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was I was a child, like I remember I used to see my friends maybe going to the mall, mm-hmm. you know, just to go and play. But I realized that, you know, those there's going to be a time when I'll have an experience of all this. But oh. now it's time for me to help my mother run her business. It's time oh. for me to help, you know, with, with the house chores. So it's it's about making the some of the decisions. So I have had to to was is to 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 make myself miss out on certain things so because I could make my life better. Because mm-hmm. imagine if I had chosen to go to the mall and then <laughs> leave the business, <laughs> I would have le- had less money to to was is to top up on my education, yeah. you know. But the moment I realized to say I need to do the business so that I could top up on my education and could go further, and f- I have actually even noticed that people that came from, um, no offense, but people that came from better homes than I used to do, mm. than I, I, I used to, mm. are people that got to feel pregnant and they had to discontinue with their education, yeah. are people that became drug addicts, mm. are people that became alcohol abusers. So because of making certain choices, it has made me to be the person that I am today. The world needs more people like you. Thank you. And I wish you the best luck. And thank that you so you much. Achieve everything that you want to achieve. And thank you so much. I truly appreciate it. perspectives are always limited by how much we know. So how do we choose the information we are receiving? And do we really understand it? What is influencing us? And who are we letting in to speak to our hearts? Visit withsisters.org to act with us to empower locally and inspire globally. This podcast is brought to you by With Hoof, a house to host great ideas, stories and people.